Jacob Wayne show. I'm going to do a quick little intro right here, just telling you that we're doing part two of our Stephen King list, where we watch all the Stephen King, at least all of it that we can find, and we're doing the 1990s. Last time it was early 70s through the 80s, so this is part two. No need to do music this week, because this is a long one, so we're just going to hop right into that, and we'll get back to music next week. Well, 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 Dan, we are here again at another Stephen King's list, and this one is the 1990s. You ready to get to it? Oh, absolutely. It was a lot of fun to do. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say just as fun as the first list, but this one was definitely, I don't know, it was kind of more difficult to get through at times. Uh, Some stuff of it is like, I'm not a big fan of, whereas the last list, I think I liked everything on the list. Some of these, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. This one seems a lot more hit and miss, because you have, like, some absolutely amazing titles, and then just a lot of garbage, too. (laughs) Yep. So, speaking of garbage, or just stuff that we couldn't really get to, the things that are stricken from our list are the lawnmower man because the movie they made is awesome and we'll talk about it sometime but their adaptation is so far removed from the stephen king short story that we just didn't even count it um there is a lawnmower man short story that i think is maybe up on youtube but we didn't get to it because it's like kind of obscure um yeah short story film kind of thing we couldn't find Quicksilver Highway or Golden Years to even watch. I will say that my buddy Steve back in the day had Golden Years on DVD. And the only thing I can remember from it is they used the David Bowie song Golden Years. Like on the credits, I think. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually the first time I heard that song. I was like, what is this song? It's weird. It's like, Golden Years. Whoop, whoop, whoop. You know, like that whole thing. <laughs> Um, so I do want to watch that at some point, if we ever find it somewhere. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, we did watch, and then after watching it, we realized only one story out of the three was written by Stephen King, and that one's funny. Um, yeah, yeah, he wrote the story where this old man is trying to get a cat murdered, that the cat is murdering all his friends or cohorts or whatever. And there's actually one point where the cat jumps into the old man's mouth to kill him, which is kind of cool. But uh, there's a funny gargoyle type love story in it. And then a really cheesy, weird mummy 
story that had early Steve Buscemi, uh, Christian Slater. So if you're looking for that kind of curiosity and yeah. like seeing those characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, trying to like be a completist with like Steve Buscemi or Christian Slater for some reason. Check that out. Um, so anyway, we are now into our list. And I am at 20. I suppose we have quite a bit to get through, so we'll be sort of brief because I'm sure we'll talk about some of these films again and our master list that we'll eventually get to. But... We'll discuss what needs to be discussed in each of them. Um, so, let's go with you. What's your 20? Uh, I think we might have this one the same. It was Trucks. Yep. Trucks is 20 at the bottom of the list. And, like I said, we're going to blend these lists at the very end after we watch all the Stephen King movies. We're going to do our final like top 10, top 15 depending on how interesting that is, like, at length. But uh, I have a feeling that Trucks is going to be at the very bottom of all of it. It's certainly possible. I don't know. We have quite a few more to get through, but it was real bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this is, so, like, I don't know, would you call it a remake or a reboot? of? Uh, uh, I. Yeah. I guess just a redo of the same story. I don't I don't even know what to call it because I mean, obviously there are similarities because they're based on the same story, but they're very very different movies. I'm going to call it like a redo or a retry. Like it's not even yeah. worthy of a reboot or a remake. Like I think they got greedy and tried to just redo it so the short story is trucks it's of the same name but we discussed the original attempt which was stephen king's directorial debut and cocaine's one of cocaine's greatest movies uh, maximum overdrive um based on the same short story and this time they took out stephen king as the director they took out the cocaine they maybe added heroin i don't know because it's boring as fuck <laughs> It was very slow. Yeah, and it was done for the USA Network. So if you can imagine a USA Network movie in the 90s, it takes out all the fun. Um, there's no ACDC doing the score. The music's terrible. The acting's pretty... I try to be forgiving with certain things like this, but no, it's like score's terrible, the acting's terrible, pacing's terrible... The only thing I would say is maybe look up the scene of a tiny little toy truck killing a guy. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah, like that's it all it's worth. It was intentionally funny, but... <laughs> no. And it made me just appreciate Maximum Overdrive even more, which I had always heard bad stuff about Maximum Overdrive, but now... I'm looking at the old list from last time. I had it ranked pretty high because of how entertaining I found it. And I feel yeah. more confident in that placement. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on trucks, really? No, not really. Uh, I mean, it it was very forgettable. Yeah. So, not much good mm -hmm. to say. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I'm going to try to go through these and just talk about them off the top of my head, what I remember. We can definitely look up names yeah. or directors or anything if we need to for a specific point. But that one, it's like I don't even want to bother like with who's in it or the director or anything. It's just like, let's just move along. Yeah, I don't recall anything notable. Yeah. Um, so let's just get to your 19. What's your 19? Uh, 19 is the mangler, which I'm a little bit conflicted about that placement, but Hmm. I guess we can talk about why. (laughs) I think last time we kind of did this weird bouncing around, but I'm going to kind of just go with your list and then you'll just get to be surprised how much higher I rank things. Yeah. If I do. Um, let's talk about the Mangler then. We'll base it off of your list a little bit where we talk about him. Um, the Mangler has Freddy Krueger in it, uh, Robert England. Mm-hmm. It has the dude, you might want to look up his name while I'm doing all this. Uh, the, the guy Levine? that played Buffalo Bill. Yeah, Ted Levine. Ted Levine. Yeah, so he's like a really great big fat person. He still still has that voice a little bit, but he's trying to be a charming detective. Like, would you? It's like the whole movie. I was really distracted by it. Um, I'm looking this up real quick for any quick references, but uh, I will say that the... Some of the set design, the camera work is pretty fun. And yeah, yeah. way better than trucks. Uh but that the leaps and bounds. Yeah. yeah. But beyond that, the story's like absurd. Like I'll read the plot. When an accident involving a folding Yeah. When an accident involving a folding machine at an old laundry happens. Detective John Hunton investigates while he tries to solve the mystery. Bill Gartley, the owner, wants to find new victims for his machine. So if I had to like sum that all up, uh, John Hunton, played by Ted Levine, investigates this murderous machine at this factory that's ran by Bill Gartley, played by Robert England, Freddy Krueger. Um, he's kind of a fun little character in terms of like, character design and how much he's hamming it up but yeah uh ted levine has a hippie best friend that i guess is like the brother of his ex-wife or his wife that died and died i remember we were discussing that it's like they're trying to set this up like a buddy cop thing between like this conservative detective and like the more open-minded mystical hippie but neither character really pulls off those character archetypes very well the plot doesn't build up their relationship in any way so by the end of it you're just kind of like why is anybody stupid enough to stand near this machine where it can eat them and why is anybody stupid enough to work for this robert england character and I guess, what was the device? It's like, if their blood gets in the machine, they thrive if the machine eats or something? 
Yeah, yeah, like uh, they hinted at like a like a dynasty of people who have sacrificed things to this machine in order to gain, you know, power and prestige and money. And um, I mean, that was kind of an interesting subplot, more interesting than yeah. I think the the movie as a whole. I, we did I discuss. I think. Oh, good. Sorry. I think it was the chemistry of the characters that threw me off. Like individually, I think they were, you know, pretty decently acted and everything, but it's like everybody was almost talking at each other and not to each other. Like it was, it was a very odd feeling the whole movie that just left a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um, I think we were, we were doing that little activity. Like when a movie starts to suck, you like, start trying to rewrite it like if i had to make this movie with that how would we do it and we came to the conclusion that you could have made the machine function a little more like um final destination where like there's a supernatural force like pulling out a string that they somebody trips over to fall near the machine so the machine can eat like but there's nothing like that and the machine itself, like, there's some kind of fun gore to it. It's yeah. like a weird machine from uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Like, it's kind of wacky machinery, and, like, I'll give it credit for that, like, what they made for the machine, and then some of the supernatural stuff reminded me of Poltergeist, and that's because it's directed by Toby Hooper, who directed that. Yeah. But it doesn't yeah. have any of the Steel- Steven Spielberg produced it charm. Which, that's always what they say with Poltergeist is, yeah, Toby Hooper directed directed it, but it's like a Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah. And this, like, is missing that kind of charm and character development by quite a large margin. Large yeah. Marge, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Um, that's, they... that's a good... <laughs> <laughs> Alright. They were... There were lots of pieces of this movie that they did pretty well. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't get all those pieces to fit into like a cohesive good movie like yeah. the makeup effects were all right and you know the gore was pretty good and the you know the stylistic choices of the machine and the factory and everything mm-hmm. it just didn't work i don't know i i really can't give a lot of good advice of how you would fix that you know but it I just, think it didn't work for me. I don't know what it was. I think you recast it, like almost all of it. Yeah. Um, you build the relationship between the hippie and the cop better, which I think has a lot to do with casting. Not that they didn't do what they could do with it. It's just there's a disconnect yeah. there somewhere. And then yeah, you make the machine itself have a little more autonomy and mischievousness to it. Like, where you're like, oh, God, how's the machine going to trick this person to get near it? And Mm -hmm. so then it actually feels like a threat, and it's not a bunch of people being stupid. And I think the most effective character was Robert England. He was really hammy, but he really played it up. Very very hammy, but it kind of worked for the character. Yeah, and maybe if you fix those other things, maybe he works better, but... Anyway, we should move on, because that's, I yeah. think, more than anybody's ever talked about the Mangler. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so that was your 19. My 19 was 
the Langoliers. Yeah, that's my 18. All right, so we could talk about that. Um, I'll, I'll look up the plot while you give me your rating and whether you liked it or not. Um, the story is good. Like, the, the, the concept is good, but that's kind of true of all of these movies we're going to talk about because, I mean, they're originally Stephen King stories and he's a pretty damn good writer. So it wasn't, like, the premise of the movie I didn't like or anything. It was purely execution-based. Um, the acting was mediocre to poor. Um, the effects were comically bad and very, very dated. I'm sure that was real cool in, you know, like, what was it, 90... 95. Four, 95. Yeah, 95. And it just, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> no. Um, the Legoliers is a movie that I remember it coming out when I was little. I would have been nine years old. Um, I wanted to watch it, never did. Um, my parents, my whole family's Mormon, so they were pretty, like, closed off with watching certain things. Like... I might have mentioned it on the podcast before. Like, oddly enough, they'd let me watch, like, pseudo-patriotic movies if it was rated R. Like, The Patriot. Yeah. Or the... What was the... In the Line of Fire. But the, In the Line of Fire totally fucked me up. Because of, like, John Malkovich, like, murdering these poor ladies. And so their barometer of what I should watch and not watch is like, can't watch Simpsons, can't watch The Langoliers. I was like, uh but that actually led to my initial love of Stephen King, and I had always like kind of grow up hearing that this one wasn't that good, and I think that that's correct. But I've read the story, and it's actually one of my favorite short stories of his. Um, and the plot is: a jet leaves on a red eye flight from Los Angeles to Boston, but early in the flight, ten passengers awaken to a startling realization: all of the other passengers have vanished. And spoiler alert. Uh, they're like, they get taken back to yesterday. And then as time moves forward, there's these Langoliers that eat up yesterday to like, I don't know, clear out the cosmic space or something. So they arrive in yesterday and like the taste of everything's going away and echoes are going away. And there's just this, in the book, it's so effective because you just hear this like weird, insane chittering that... You barely sense at the beginning, but it gets louder and louder. And there's this blind girl who has the shining. Like they don't ever say it's the shining, but at this point, there's yeah, certain totally themes is. that cut through <laughs> yeah. uh, Stephen King stories. So this blind girl has the shining, and this other guy maybe has it, but he's the villain because his father fucked him up. Um, I forget what that character's name is. Oh wait, it's uh, Craigie Weggy. Yeah. Craig Toomey. Yeah. Um, that actor, who is the guy that gets cocaine blasted in his face in the movie True, True Romance. Um, I think he's a pretty good actor, but in this, he's like going ultra ham. Like, if you thought Robert England and the Mangler was hammy, like, this is times ten. Like, it's insane. And I think, for me personally... That's the only reason to watch this is to watch his performance because it's it's batshit insane to me. 
Yeah. Um, there well. is a couple people in this that showed up in other King stuff. Uh, David Morris, who mm-hmm. shows up in the Green Mile. Uh, you recognize him from things like The Rock and Contact. Oh, he was in The Good Son. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, any anything of note about this story other than that? Uh, no. Uh, I I hope they do it better sometime. Yeah, we've had that discussion before. Is that they really need to work on doing remakes and reboots of stuff that didn't work the first time, but they know the story's good. Just like quit remaking stuff we already like, and I get why. Because you could make money off of people are like, oh, I remember that. That was good. But I think they'd maybe be surprised. They'd be like, oh, that was supposed to be really good. And then it sucked. I'll watch this one. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, Tom Holland was the director. Spider-Man? <laughs> oh, he did Child's I'm Play. Sure. And, uh... oh, and he did Thinner. Another one on this list. Which is a much better movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I gave Langoliers two stars out of five, and I couldn't say I liked it. Um, I I think it was worth watching if you are into Stephen King, and that's about it. Otherwise, to your, you know, general audience, I wouldn't say it's worth watching. Yeah. Um, with that, what number are we at for you? Uh, 18 was Langoliers for me. That was 19 for you, right? Uh, yeah. So, what is your next one on your list that we haven't mentioned? Okay, 17 is Sometimes They Come Back. Ooh. 1991 movie. Okay. One moment. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Um, okay, so the story is a man and his family returned to his hometown where he is then harassed by teenagers who died when he was a kid. Um, so it's basically a bunch of greasers that used to bully this guy. He is now a, you know, a teacher at the local high school, I guess, and um, they're mysteriously coming back from the dead and you know, haunting his life. Yeah. That was a pretty good summation. I don't think I need to read any more on the plot. Um, I will say, so this is which number for you again? Uh, 17. 17. Oh, okay. Um, we'll get back to my 18 in a minute. But, um, yeah, sometimes they come back is a little higher in my list. So... But we will talk about sometimes they come back. Uh, yeah, it's it has some scenes that I could see almost being effective, like the scene where they're in the tunnel and his brother gets bullied and it leads to his death and the death of these mm. greaser, zombie, undead, whatever, ghosts. Yeah. Um that's I could see that being done better, and it was almost effective in this. Um, some of the cinematography and the serious tone of it almost worked at the beginning, but it like the biggest issue is that it drag 
dragged on for way too long and just pondered on this guy like really can't give up the fact that this is what something that happened to him and he was bullied and then yeah some of these greaser ghost zombies start killing somebody in his class so they can take their spot and what's frustrating is that is the way the main character behaves he he never does what I wouldn't say necessarily makes sense, but, like, nothing satisfying happens about how he interacts with this situation. Yeah. Either he flips out in the wrong spot, or he doesn't do enough in the other spot. And I I don't know. It just gets so jumbled that way. It's just like, how is nobody pointing out that this fucking guy is dressed like 1950 and, like, fucking with the teacher like he is, and then... The teacher's just shaking, scared, like, not saying anything. Like, I used to be a teacher, and I would imagine if anybody's messing with me like that, I'm like, I'm like, A, either, like, sending them to the principal's office. If they won't go, I'm going to maybe blow up at them verbally, get my ass fired, or I'm just, like, flat out, like, leaving. Like, I'm, I'm out of here. Like, fuck this shit. Like, for how much they're fucking with them. It's not subtle. It's It's absurd. So maybe that's what it is. It's it's too much absurdity, too stretched out and boring. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I I don't like... There's certain things used in films or just even within the culture that I just don't like. So Greasers is one of them. Like I've never found... Like what's the one musical? Uh... Grease? <laughs> well, I guess I've never watched Grease, so that's part of why. It's like... Like, yeah, <laughs> but uh, the the sharks and the jets. Oh, uh, West Side Story. Yeah, just like I tried to watch the new Stephen King one, and part of the reason I turned it off is like musical. Eh, it's not really working for me, and then yeah, yeah. it's like eh, just, I hate this 1950s tough guy bullshit, and I don't know. Maybe you could have leaned into that, like how annoying that shit is. But Stephen King's a big old ham for 1950s nostalgia yeah and which makes sense but uh, i i do wonder if it's like my distaste for stuff like that led to me like to liking this less yeah um like the technical aspects of the movie were pretty good it was shot decently it was you know there. I can't really complain about how the movie looked or anything. Mm. It it just it didn't you know, didn't grab me. It didn't I think it didn't it's do well. Biggest me. issue is how drawn out they are. They yeah. don't get to the next point. Like they spend so much of the beginning of the film like, "Okay, what's this fucking guy's deal? Why is he so moody?" And then they slowly reveal the brother thing. And it's like, not in a like, oh, that's what they were building towards kind of way. It's like, yeah, okay, fine, fuck. Should have said that earlier. Yeah. And when Another he... Another thing they did. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. What, what I remember them doing a lot is they, they flashed back to that scene like six times. Yeah. It was just yeah. like, yeah, we get it. You know, like, well, you don't need to... <laughs> Why I'm laughing is because at the very end when his brother comes back to save him, 
like that's supposed to be the big emotional scene like hey i love you but you died and you need to move on because we're all gonna die one day and i just miss you big brother mm-hmm. like boom wrap it up but he like lingers and you're like okay yeah. we got it why are you still fucking here man you dead get, get, the, <laughs> get the fuck back to heaven or whatever like jesus you know fade away or whatever you're gonna do yeah dude, ooh, just go go the fuck away i gotta put my kid to bed he's got school tomorrow like <laughs> yeah i think that is the biggest issue with it um tim matheson like went from being like oh he's actually kind of i'm interested in this guy to being like oh fuck just no like just go away yeah oddly enough this is one of the better reviewed films of the bottom of the list yeah and people seem to really dig it it's like has cult classic status but i guess Maybe that's the greasery thing, or the people that saw it in '91. Um, I gave it two stars out of five, and I didn't like it, but it is higher in my list. Um, my 18 was the Shining miniseries. Oh wow, I put that a decent amount higher than you did. Yeah, we'll we'll save it. <laughs> um, so year 17 was sometimes I come back. Yeah. Okay, my 17 was The Mangler. No. Um, 16, what's your 16? Tommyknockers. Tommyknockers is a little higher. My 16 was Sometimes They Come Back. So let's talk about Tommyknockers. What did you think Uh, of it? Yeah. Um, it, It definitely shows its age very hard yes and it uh it drug out for me it was not well paced no um and i don't know the the story you know is good it's just not well executed again that that seems to be one of the bet one of the the common factors among a lot of these movies is story's good you got the bones Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, suppose we don't need to spend a ton of time on this one. Um, I will mention where it is on my list, but the reason it's higher on the list than some of these other ones is that I am very fond of the book. The book gets the same criticisms as what you were just saying, though, as some people think it's overwrought and meanders mm-hmm. from character to character and in the book that's actually what i like about it is that it does jump from character to character in this town and you get to know them and learn their motivations so when some of the weird shit starts happening because of like the alien possession like it hits harder like the weird doll thing or the the cheating couple and all that stuff it's yeah there's a lot of these stories where, yeah, it's like it's a whole ensemble and it's bouncing around to different people in a town. He does that a lot. And this one, I just, I liked the metaphor that of like addiction, um, this, yeah. these aliens get into people and it's like this power though. It's like basically meth or alcohol or whatever mm-hmm. and how it starts to affect them and, I just I really enjoy the story, so that's part of why it goes up higher. Is I'm just kind of a sucker for it. I am a sucker for 
Stephen King miniseries from the 90s. There's just a whole tone and a vibe to them that's like kind of its own unique thing. Mm. And I'm kind of a sucker for Jimmy Smith's. And yeah, I'm just going to say Jimmy Smith's. Everybody else in it was like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, I like he out of all the King protagonists, he's one of the ones like I'm like enjoy just kind of following him doing whatever he's doing. Yeah. And uh so I think it's those factors like the alien thing. I don't think King messes with aliens too much. I guess he kind of does, though. That'll be interesting as we get into the 2000s. Trucks yeah. is technically an alien thing, but I not really. Yeah. But, I mean, it's aliens influencing the trucks, but it's essentially like, ah, evil trucks. Um, I don't know, yeah. So, Tommy Knockers, it's funny. Like, these other movies I mentioned, that I said two stars out of five and I didn't like it. I gave this two and a half stars, and I like it. So it's, yeah, the difference is very close. Um, so what number was that for you again? 16. Yeah. 16 was sometimes they come back for me. So let's get to your 15. Graveyard shift. We're at the, we're the same right there. Graveyard shift. Oh, so why don't you tell me what is there to say thoughts about on graveyard that? shift? <laughs> um, uh, what is there to say about graveyard shift? They they really screwed up the ending. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know um, our main criticism was that they. Inherently changed the main female protagonist to make her, yeah. uh, fi- uh, what do they call that? Final girl? Not a final girl. Yeah. Final girl survives. Damsel in distress. Yeah. yeah. She she basically lost all of her badassery and just became like a, oh, yeah, a monster. Feminine, yeah. Save me. Yeah. It was just very off-putting. And up to, to that point, she was likable. Yeah. Yeah, set up a character as, like, you know, a strong female, I don't know, not protagonist, but side character that, you know, she could, she could, you know, you know, roll with the punches, hang with the best of them. And then she just took this sharp turn into damsel in distress territory. And I found that very off putting. Imagine if they had done Alien. Setting up Sigourney Weaver the way they do an alien. But rather mm-hmm. than have her be the the final girl, the one that survives, and she's just a bad... It doesn't matter if I'm the final girl or final guy. I'm just a badass taking care of business. Like, instead, they just let John Hurt survive, and he's protecting Sigourney and Alien, and all she's doing for the, re- the rest of the third act is, eh, oh my god, it's an alien, oh my god, like... That's essentially what they did in this. Like, up until then, I think really the only thing to say about Graveyard Shift is premise wise, it's very close to a lot of Stephen King stories and setups. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's almost very similar to the Mangler. Yeah, you know, exactly. Too. And yeah. that's the only difference is the characters are more well realized, the pacing's slightly better. I am intrigued by them 
working in this place and what they have to do. I wouldn't say it's like great pacing, but because it better. is, it does like stretch out at parts where you're like, all right, let's get to the next thing. But it is better. There's a pretty great side character played by Brad Dwarf. He's the exterminator. Yeah, the, the exterminator. Yeah, he did but, great. But they kind of don't do anything with that character. He like just gets fired and leaves, or does he get yeah. killed? See, that's um... that's what the fact that we don't remember. I think says something yeah you had one of your best characters in the whole movie and it's like i think he just gets fired and he has to leave yeah but he did an excellent job with the character it was great but it was just you know but that's like one of those things where it's brad dwarf i mean that guy fucking kills it and just about anything you give him i think he's really underrated with people People that are into film know him. He's like an awesome bad guy in Exorcist 3. He's Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. Uh, that really mousy character in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Like, Yeah, he's great. So maybe that's part of it. Is pretty good up until the third act and it falls apart. And you have Brad Dwarf playing a, an exterminator who hates rats. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason it's like kind of above these other ones and i think like setting cam i'm not gonna say camera work but more like yes the set yeah it's pretty good um i gave it two stars out of five and i couldn't say i liked it though yeah i i don't know if i'd ever watch it again i enjoyed it while i was watching it right up until i got very irked at the end <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah I'll tell you what and I'll go ahead and re-mention that we're all spoilers all the time on this podcast so don't expect us to like hide stuff unless we think it's genuinely like good for us to keep it a secret so you go watch it but I would say Graveyard Shift is another one that would work really well as a remake or a reboot and give it a modern setting because they jumbled the end, but the concept that there's this creature, it's essentially this giant bat, but like, yeah, whatever, I don't know, I'd have to look at the actual written story, but that there's a creature living underneath this factory where nobody speaks up because the boss is that much of an asshole that like so any yeah if anything bad happens on the floor like he's gonna bury it or get you fired in the small town where it's the only place to work like that could be cool and it's like in a modern setting it's like where people are just like having to work so many jobs just to get by it's just like i i, I can't lose this job and you could even have it in a factory that has all these like modern settings but there's a basement that's just it's been built on this yeah dilapidated like thing and you could make some commentary about overworking people and class stuff and yeah yeah um so that was both 15 for us my 14 was tommy knockers so it's right above graveyard okay. shift and that's where i start getting into stuff that i like mm-hmm. uh, my what, 14 is yeah. the sh- miniseries oh, okay so yeah that was my 18 um uh i'm gonna keep myself from bitching about it too much (laughs) 
I mean, I kind of understand why you feel the way you do about it, but I I think you're ignoring some of the the great things that they did what with was that great? series. Uh, the makeup, the sound. Uh, I mean, the story is The Shining, so of course it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was done so much better, obviously, by Kubrick. Yeah. But I think this is still worth watching. It, it was a good, a good watch. Um, I've read the book as well. This is very much closer to the book and i think that's why i hate it as much as i do it's not just a reverence for kubrick's it's that this is supposed to be like the book adaptation Mm -hmm. and where they fuck it up is they add way too much shit to it it didn't need to be as long as it was they yeah it it does drag king himself adds shit that wasn't in the book so when it's not in the book and he's writing it and he's presenting it as like, this is what Kubrick fucked up and I'm fixing it and I'm doing it just like the book. And then he changes his own book. Happy ending at the end. And the we, being able to see Tony and weird flashbacks. It's just, you don't yeah. need to see that shit with Jack Torrance. And it, it kind of takes away all the goodwill he might've got from me with like, Oh wow. The, the lady in the tub is actually Okay. It's creepy or all right. Like all the stuff that's in the book. That's cool is executed terribly in this, like the hedge monsters and yeah. the, and the beat, the <laughs> hornets. Yeah. And the terribly executed. Yeah. Hedge CGI. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that holler and survived like he does in the book. Mm-hmm. Cause that, I always wondered, that's a thing with Kubrick, you know, you, you respect him so much, but in hindsight, you look at some of his stuff, it's just like, why did he have to kill the black guy, and yeah. why did he treat, um, not Wendy, but the actress who played her as, ah, he'll think of it, I can't think of her name. Um, I can't believe I'm blank. Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall, yeah. yeah. Like his, the way he mistreats people, like, I was actually listening to a podcast that was talking about how Harvey Keitel was going to work for Kubrick on something. And then Kubrick was doing his ridiculous, like, let's do 100 takes. And mm-hmm. it was actually Bill Hader relating the stories and, like, uh, something. And he was like, yeah, when you're in your 20s, you kind of romanticize that and think it's amazing. And you're like, wow, he, like you made him do 100 takes. But the older you get, you're like, you didn't need that many takes. That's fucked up. It's a weird power yeah. dynamic thing. And then Harvey Keitel just like walked off set. He's like, man, fuck you. You're an asshole. And it's like, all right. So as I get older, like I can appreciate like little Kubrick things. And not to tangent that, but... It's like, I could see why King would want to get in and fix his story to make it reflect the things he wanted to reflect. Hollerance survives, like, Jack Torrance isn't, like, the automatically almost fucked up bad guy that he is in The Shining. It's like, at the beginning of The Shining, it's already, like, Jack Nicholson with his eyebrows, like, (laughs) like, just... It's a different tone. Still, that movie's amazing, and this remake 
and I hate the acting in it. Like, um, by the yeah. by, the little kid. Actually, that's all it yeah. is. I hate fucking Danny Torrance in this. Yeah, he he wasn't great. I think uh, Stephen Weber, who plays Jack Torrance, um, he did okay. He made some really weird choices every now yeah, and again. Though. Like, not the whole time. Sometimes he's doing a pretty good job, and then... I don't know, him playing kooky drunk or something. It's just like, eh, what? Yeah. I like I mean, the I new Wendy. To... <laughs> yeah. I hate to dog on a child actor, but he, he just really didn't... He didn't do it good. <laughs> when he's, like, sort of the crux of your story, it's just like... Yeah. Ugh. And then... Yeah, I mean, Wendy was better than... Yeah, she was way better than... <laughs> just... I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, I did like, I like both Dick Hollerans in both versions, but this one was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let me think about this. Let me take a look at this list. I, yeah, it, it really is that King went in saying, this is me correcting what Kubrick fucked up, and then he fucked up his own story. And tweaked it and made it worse. And you can do an adaptation of this book that would be pretty damn good and pretty different. It would probably be a lot more like Dr. Sleep. Mm -hmm. Which I love Dr. Sleep, but that we ain't anywhere near Dr. Sleep yet. So no, Not yet. I'm excited for it. I think that that's what it is. It just offends <laughs> me more than sometimes they come back or the mangler in the graveyard yeah. shift like those are just kind of what they are and maybe if i had at the end of the day is these lists are our personal preference yeah and i think maybe if i read those short stories or something maybe they would go lower than the shining miniseries but yeah. for now it is what it is um yeah what's your 13 Yes, that'll be 13. Sleepwalkers. Oh, I got that higher. So why don't you tell me about Sleepwalkers? Sleepwalkers is the cat movie. <laughs> Fucking awesome. That's what it is. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we're, I think we're all, we're officially in territory where on our lists that, like, I enjoyed these. And yeah. I, you know, you got to place them somewhere, but, you know, there's obviously stuff that's way better than this. Mm -hmm. Sleepwalkers uh, is just some good, supernatural, silly fun. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll just read the synopsis on IMDb, I guess. Sure. A mother and son team of strange supernatural creatures move to a small town to seek out a young virgin to feed on. Like... What a great premise. Yeah. Silly, silly romp fun of supernatural cat people. <laughs> yep. And I mean, this is another one where I would love to read the short story. Because you could have had just that. Weird creatures need a virgin to feast on. But these weird creatures are like... Um, what? Succubus or succubi or incubi. Yeah. And they're also werecats that apparently have a natural, like, what's antagonistic relationship with regular, yeah. like, house cats or just cats. 
And so cats can actually sense them and seek them out when they're, like, in the area or in town and, like, try to attack them and kill them. So these werecat incubus creatures hate them. But they can also, also like, shapeshift and make their cars go invisible. And there's one of them that's, like, in a car and starts to get chased by this cop. And the cop has a cat that he's trained called Clovis the Attack Cat. Greatest character. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> so, I mean, I think I'll just leave it there. Like, how do you not want to watch that fucking movie? Like, wait, what? Yeah. Sexual werecats that are, like, mom and son banging each other, which is like, ugh. But then they need a virgin, and there's Clovis the Attack Cat, and there's all kinds of cat action all over this this movie. And, uh, like, that's really it. Like, you should watch it, because it's, it's weird, it's silly, it's funny, it's entertaining as fuck. I gave it four stars out of five, and I like it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it has a great uh, Enya song at the end on the credits. Like, oh, yeah, just like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like, just the vibe of it's so unique and interesting and... I think that is the big key of it is it's it's fun. Yeah, I think the this is the first one out of the the, the list we've done so far that I can say is actually well paced. Yeah. Um yeah, I agree. Apparently, he directed Quicksilver Highway, which we didn't have access to. Yeah. And well he might have directed Stephen King's The Shining miniseries. He also directed Riding the Bullet, which is coming up next decade, and The Stand. So he's responsible for a shit ton of 90s King. Oh, and he did Desperation. So that's going to be in the next decade as well. So I think I remember reading the article that Mick Garris, this director, is the guy that's done the most Stephen King stuff. He's got the title. So <laughs> I think this is might have been his first one. I don't know. That's hard to say. But we'll we'll move along. Uh so that was your thirteen? Thirteen, yeah. My thirteen was apt pupil. Oh wow, you put that a little further down than me, but not by a lot. All right, we'll talk about it when we get to it on your list. Uh, what was your 12? The Stand miniseries, not the new one. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'll go ahead and say I don't think we're going to watch the new one. Maybe we will. I don't know. Maybe we'll change our mind when we get to it, but yeah, it's not well regarded, and it's like eight episodes or something, maybe. And I'm just like, ugh, I don't know. But I guess we will see when we get there. Yeah. This was the longest miniseries that we've done so far. This was six hours total. Mm-hmm. Um, it is higher on my list by quite a bit. So why don't you tell me what you think of it? Um, this is the first time I've interacted with anything, you know, the stand story-wise. haven't read the book or anything. So um, this is basically my introduction to it. So that may, you know, taint my, you know, rating, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
Um, also, you know, being close-ish to COVID kind of <laughs> maybe influences that a bit too, but I guess I'll just read the uh, synopsis. Mm -hmm. I think most people know this story, but if you're like me and didn't. Uh, after a deadly plague kills most of the world's population, the remaining survivors split into two groups, one led by the benevolent elder, by a benevolent elder, and the other a malevolent being to face each other in a final battle between good and evil. Mm-hmm. It's uh, basically Stephen King's epic before the Dark Tower series. I don't know if he started working on Dark Tower before this, but it's closely tied with that because the Dark Man's in the um, Dark Tower series is Randall Flagg in this. Um, there's a big debate within Stephen King lore where are all the protagonists this Dark Man, the Randall Flagg, the he who walks behind the rose? And that's, I think, clearly no. There's other entities in the king verse whatever you want to call it but there are some of these movies we've, we've watched where i'm like i wonder if that is a reincarnation of him or like a different version yeah. or whatever but he's essentially a dark evil wizard that's devil stand-in and yeah he basically influences stuff or takes advantage when stuff goes haywire which this virus gets released that kills like 98 to 99 percent of the population something like that mm -hmm. and so everybody who survives that that just has an immunity for whatever reason um is in the hellscape of the world and it obviously just stays in the united states that's kind of stephen king's spot and um they all start having dreams and some of them are dreaming of going to mother abigail and then some of them dream of the man or the Dark Man, or Randall Flagg, and evil people go to Las Vegas, good people go to Boulder, Colorado, and there's the Rocky Mountains in between them. And it, it's just the classic, you gotta go into the tower to destroy the One Ring, and it's very Lord yeah. of the Rings influence. He's spoken on that a lot, and it's, yeah, it's like Lord of the Rings in 1980s America. Even though I think they've adjusted the timeline... I even did a rewrite on the book, and I think he changed the timeline a little bit. But, hmm. uh, yeah, I I read the book during the beginning of the pandemic. It definitely added to the creepy factor of it. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite books of his. It's so I'm. I think, like you were saying, it's very much that sort of thing where I read it when I was a teenager, loved it, revisited it once and then revisited it again during the pandemic and also my buddy jeff's stepdad has a very brief cameo in this as the army man who wrestles a camera to the ground and so we used to watch that and giggle our asses off and <laughs> so yeah i obviously have a lot of nostalgia for the story and this particular miniseries is their adaptation corny? Yeah. But I think they did what they could for an ABC network television adaptation. In 1994. Like, yeah. There wasn't a lot of good TV no. in the mid-90s. This definitely would have stood out quite a bit. Yeah. and As much better 
Yeah. As I was reading up on Wikipedia, there was certain things that they were like, let's shoot it knowing that they're going to tell us no, but just try. So like things like the person who's crucified with like the crown of drug needles and he has a sign that says drug addict. And then I guess there's a, a mummified dead baby or something at one point. I think I missed that. Or, but those things stayed in the in the shot. Which, so I guess to a degree, kudos to ABC for like sort of letting them push the boundaries. Especially for the time. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like for how long it is, I think it keeps my attention pretty well too. Yeah. Yeah, I will say that there were pacing issues. I mean, that's almost inevitable with a six-hour miniseries that sure. something's going to drag at some point. But I would say that, you know, that criticism is negligible. Sure. It's a nitpick. But at the end of the day, it's like we both love The Outsider, which is essentially like mm-hmm. eight episodes, and that's was on HBO. Like, I think they have gotten better at stretching out this type of material and making it worthwhile and I was like all right this episode's gonna slow down a little bit but it's like more of a hanging out with these characters and getting to know them or mm-hmm. they're just they've just gotten way better at that and so i don't know i guess that'll be a reason to watch the new stand adaptation is to see if that approach works um yeah According to a lot of people, apparently it doesn't, and it has a lot of shitty people in it, like Amber Heard and Ezra Miller, oh, I think, or, and it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> Real winners there. Yeah. Um, Another thing I guess it, I will say about watching it, specifically us watching it together, if I didn't have you there to like explain little nuance and stuff, there were times where i would have not understood motivations of characters or you know just missed some things entirely m-o-o-n that spells motivation dan (laughs) (laughs) yeah like there yeah there's a lot like it is a lot i so i guess there is that Uh, that's a good point is because me knowing the story i think that when they made this, they perhaps assumed people knew the story because it was one of his yeah. best-selling books, and people it was huge at the time it came out. Mm-hmm. And so, I think rather than feeling the need to explain certain things, they just like, oh, they know the story, they know the inner dialogue yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So we'll just keep rolling and yeah. So with that being said, it's a little underserved on a lot of spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I think that is what it is. It's whether you know the story or not is going to really increase the value of this miniseries. Um, I'm, I'm, but and that's what's weird. I'm usually my philosophy is watch the show or the movie first and then read the book because then you won't be disappointed by stuff that wasn't tackled in the movie or the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you always hear about people that read a book and then they go to see the movie and they're like, that sucked. They didn't do any of the stuff I created in my own head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this one might actually be best served by reading the book first and then you just go in knowing it's an ABC adaptation and get what you can out of it. 
Um, what number was that for you? Uh, eleven. Okay. No, wait. That 12. was twelve. That was twelve. Okay. My twelve was needful things. Mm. And so, what's your eleven? My eleven is storm of the century. That's a little higher for me too. Uh, my eleven is the night flyer. So let's talk about Storm of the Century. Okay, yeah, this is the most recent one that we mm -hmm. watched. A little fresher on our minds. Um, what to say about Storm of the Century? Great antagonist. Great villain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely knocked it out of the park. Uh, pretty well shot, too. Um, they, they were doing some interesting things cinematography-wise for a TV miniseries. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, obviously, they don't have the the high high budget to do amazing stuff, but pretty pretty well. Um, Another ABC and, adaptation, and I think yeah. they went even a little darker. So, from ninety four to ninety nine, they were starting to push stuff a little more. Mm -hmm. um, who is well, the guy that plays the 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 villain? Um. If you look it up, I'll just go ahead and say the the plot is when a blizzard hits an isolated island town, it brings with it a mysterious stranger intent on terrorizing the people for a sinister purpose. Um, the island is going to show up in another movie, Dolores Claiborne, so that connection was fun. Um, once again, another weird influence is affecting a town of people. And it's how the town people interact with each other that might be the true, you know, evil thing. Like, this evil character or influence is only pushing people to their worst inclinations or choices. And that's a theme you'll see pop up in a lot of Stephen King stuff. And, yeah, the villain's great. I think all the actors, like, held it down really well. And I was really intrigued by the thing. Like, he's a dark wizard in this, which is also what Randall Flagg is. So there's been debate about whether he's an incarnation of Randall Flagg or another dark wizard attached to the Dark Tower and all that. But uh, I will say that I was really into the first part. The second part started to drag for me and yeah. most of the third part and then i came back pretty strong at the end yeah once they get yeah. into the the town hall or the church or whatever and actually make the moral decision that affects the main protagonist like i was back in and i was like pretty into that and i liked all the like catching up with all the characters a couple of years later after the yeah. event and i think that that's what pushed it a little higher for me if they had not mm. if if it meandered or the ending wasn't something i enjoyed or whatever i think yeah it would have been another case of this is way too long for the story they're trying to tell it was like mm. pick up the pace and that, that that is my biggest criticism criticism of it is it stretches too thin yeah, I think it would have benefited quite a bit from 
just some restructuring, repacing, you know, maybe a little editing, editing it down a little bit, and I think it would have been a much better yeah. miniseries. I think it would have been a good movie. But yeah. uh, that was part of the whole thing, is it was an event television thing where... This is a story that Stephen King wrote specifically for the small screen, and so it was all like sold as that. It's just like Stephen King writes a brand new story for Sunday night scary movie, and it it was effective. I remember it at the time. It was kind of exciting and thrilling, and I bet you people that were used to watching stories in that way, like I'll get one hour of this story every Sunday probably yeah. really enjoyed it yeah that's another thing that we talked about when we were watching it is the fact that we watched this one night after another each you know one part a night hmm. um may have tainted our experience compared to what you would have experienced when it was just on tv because this story probably would have benefited from a week break yeah you know well, yeah, between. I think you pointed out, it was one of us, but I think it was you, that, like, oh, well, yeah, we, they, we had to come back a week later, so these characters are, like, reiterating. It's almost like the last time on blah, 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 blah. But it's, like, just yeah. written into the story where it's, like, I yeah, killed my boyfriend, though, do you remember? <laughs> it's just, like, yeah, yeah, I remember. Get to the, the next part, please. But, yeah, I could see people that are just... Yeah, especially 90s, like... Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. Yeah, she killed her boyfriend. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. was, I don't know. I was taking a bathroom break during part one. I, I didn't think I missed that part. Okay. <laughs> and uh, didn't tape it on VHS. My bad. Um, yeah, one of the best... We'll have to maybe do a villain ranking at the very yeah. end. Because he's... He might be top five. There's a lot of really good yeah. stuff, though, but... Hmm. Anyway. Storm of the Century. So that was your 12? 11. 11. Right. 11. Um, so what was your 10? The Night Flyer. Okay, that was my 11. So That's almost dead middle of the, of the pack. So I guess let me ask you this. Why is a Night Flyer above Storm of the Century? I think it comes down to uh, length and pacing. Mm -hmm. um, this is a far better paced movie, even if it does falter in some of the things that Storm of the Century did better. It kept my attention the whole time. It... Um, it was a i wouldn't say a more intriguing story because it was it's pretty straightforward yeah um storm of the century plays a lot more with mystery and and you know the unknown mm -hmm. um uh one of the things that majorly bumped this up is the the ending probably about the last half hour to 45 minutes which is a little more than half the movie is excellent it's pretty great um i think perhaps that's 
I could see why you would put it above Storm of the Century in the sense that this movie has more elements of a movie you might want. So, Storm of the Century has mystery and it's creepy. Pretty solid acting. And... But at the end of the day, it's like, oh, evil wizard wants a child to be his protege. And father loses his child. It's pretty straightforward. This is pretty straightforward, too. It's essentially a vampire story, but it's how it presents it. It's like, oh, so vampire, and then like weaving it in as a comparison to journalism or the paparazzi. And then the way that the main character in the night flyer plays it it's funny and like what a wild weird character mm-hmm. and the, all, yeah all the characters are like you can either laugh at them or enjoy them it's like you can almost choose whether you're gonna find it funny or like no nah, i'm just gonna get into this guy's head and like pretend that this is just how this guy is and i think it adds like creepy stuff it does experimental stuff with like at the ending like you're saying that really does elevate it um it's like what goes black and white and is like vision and like these undead people that are like vampires and like one comes up to them and has like the film flickering behind their eye or something like that and it's like ah what a creative weird choice and so there's and then yeah just the oh it's a vampire but he doesn't fly around like he's in a plane like he has to fly around in a plane at night yeah (laughs) he doesn't like transform into a bat or anything he just flies a plane which is a very interesting choice well and then i guess storm of the century they'd go like he does little cat teeth or whatever Mm-hmm. But in this, it's like you actually see his face at the end, and they do a good job of keeping that hidden. You know, the old Jaws thing don't show the monster too early. Um, and they show his face, like, yeah, what a creepy, weird design. So it's got funny stuff, it's got interesting stuff. It's way, obviously, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's quick and mm-hmm. has an interesting metaphor to it. Whereas I don't know if there's really a metaphor to like Storm of the Century. It's just like, what happens if you ask a town of people to do something fucked up? What will people do? Yeah. And I think that's part of it, is this is short, so it doesn't overstay its welcome, and then it gets creative and clever and interesting with certain choices. And this got savaged by critics. Like, I think if we were basing this off of critics' ratings, uh, the Nightflyer would be near the bottom. But I think... Mm. Yeah, we watched Trucks right before we watched this, and we were like, fuck. <laughs> and they're just like, hey, this one's apparent. Like, we read one review. I'm going to see if I can find that, actually. Um, you got anything else to say on the Night Flyer? Yeah, I, I, I mean, with, with, you know, Trucks, with watching Trucks right before this mm-hmm. and reading that review going into this i expected garbage and getting someone to like come back and be like hey that was actually pretty good that was took more effort you know for me to come back like it was it 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 was genuinely pretty pretty good and you know yeah overcame my preconceived notions 
based on bad reviews. Hmm. I thought the review was on Letterboxd, but maybe it's on IMDb, but I won't bother keep to keep looking for it. But it's, to paraphrase it, it was a badly written review, and he's just like, you know, Trucks is a... It's, it's okay. It's a lot of fun. There's some good acting, good choices. Wrong. And just... He's just going off. He's like, anyway, but at least it's not the Night Flyer. Like, I hate the Night Flyer. And just like, he says he hates the Night Flyer like four different times in the review. So we watch Trucks and we read that and we're like, oh God, like he sort of likes Trucks. And so Night Flyer is just going to be worse than that. Like, yeah. holy shit. So I think maybe that's part of this is it's like what you go into these movies with, like what you know about the story, what you're expectations are and then it's like oh my god Nightflyer is kind of great like <laughs> it's just like may i don't know how much that affected us it's just like this is supposed to be one of the worst ones get ready and uh, apparently and... nobody saw this uh hmm. budget estimated at a million dollars the gross u.s and canada was one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Hmm. This is another one of those weird ones where wasn't this the one that came out on like HBO or on TV and then a year later came out in theaters? I think you looked something up while we were watching that about it. I don't recall. Pretty sure it was Night Flyer. If I'm wrong, feel free to write in at the Jacob Wayne Show at gmail.com. And let's just move it along here. So that was yeah. what number for you? 10 dead Ten. metal 10 was the dark half for me yeah so what is your nine nine's apt pupil which you had a little lower i had it at 13 yeah. so uh yeah let's be a tad more brisk with the rest of these but yeah yeah um apt pupil what'd you think of it uh it i i really want to read the the story now which applies um, to a lot the, of these yeah it way. does because i think it will probably have been written better than it you know came across on screen mm -hmm. um but they're they're playing with stuff that's very topical now it would also be very interesting to watch somebody redo this yeah it with a more modern context but um so the basic story is uh, a boy probably about, you know, 17-ish, about to graduate high school, um, discovers a, uh, a Nazi war criminal that's hiding, basically, has under his, an assumed name, and uh, he blackmails him into um, basically doing his bidding and... and telling him all of the you know fucked up things he did as a nazi well at the concentration camp specifically yeah yeah and um i was just kind of chuckling in my head you're like i'd like to see them do this now like a more modern adaptation and i was like how old would the, the nazi be now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like he just That's some true. guy finds out one of his neighbors was at january 6th it's like, I want you to tell me all the stories about what happened when you were there. It's like, are you telling these lies about me? But yeah. um, I will say that I watched this as a teenager. And it was a different time 
It would have been mm-hmm. early 2000s. We, man. Yeah. I think I watched it during high school, so it's like we watched it in the year 2000, 2001-ish. Mm-hmm. And... I think the Nazi thing that's, like, kind of creepy nowadays, it was so far removed back then that it was like, eh, that would never happen here, though. So then it's like, eh, we found this old Nazi. This kid's a little creep. But there is, like, you watch it now in 2023, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> I don't like this. It's <laughs> like, this reminds me of too many fucking, like, uh, what's the term? incels kind of creepy shit like that so i think you could do some version of that yeah it's it's weird because it's like you need the nazi to be at a certain age yeah so you couldn't do that but then if you added like the weird 4chan element and all this other stuff like it could be really creepy but um the acting's great in it the story's interesting and intriguing and fucked up and it's a little different for a Stephen King story so there's that element as well um I would say that yeah the the kid's kind of annoying when I was younger you're like he's annoying but you kind of like you weren't like maybe he's doing too much with this yeah but I don't blame the kid I blame the director Brian Singer because yeah he kind of got a taint on it here well, yeah, and you can see his weird choices now. Yeah. That you're like, oh, ugh. Like, the way he frames stuff and character relations, it's like, I wonder if that's in the story, because it is sort of a man-boy love codependency thing. But just the way he films it, it's like, eh. He got sued for filming... I don't know if it was filming them. Maybe it was, but it's like filming underage boys in the shower scene. Or like maybe it was behavior thing. I really didn't know. I went in and looked at his Wikipedia page and it's like accusation here, accusation this year, accusation this year. You're like, holy shit. Yeah. All right. But like that definitely sort of tainted my viewing. Yeah. But I will say, watching it back when I was a teenager, my reaction was different because I was different, but. It, I don't that there's something was a little off about it then too. Like it wasn't yeah. like this is a great movie where like this is weird. Like there's something off about this. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's one I could I'd totally be there for another interpretation. But I mean Ian McKellen like a Brad Dwarf. It's just like he's great in whatever he does. So yeah, it was kind of great to see him play a role like that. Yeah, without him in it, I it wouldn't be nearly as good. I mean, he he is propping up the movie heavily. Yeah, they replace him with like Pee Wee Herman or something. That actor, <laughs> Paul Rubens. <laughs> yeah, Paul Rubens. Like, <laughs> just like, yeah, it'd be a wild movie. Anyway, um, so yeah, that was my thirteen. That was your ten. Or nine. Uh, nine. Okay. So what was your eight? Uh, thinner. Okay, I have thinner higher. Which we are, which we already reviewed. Yeah. In 
before we started doing this list, we what made us decide to do this list was we just decided to watch Thinner one night, and then we're like, hey, let's just do every Stephen King movie chronologically. Yeah. So this one we watched quite a long time ago. Just like, my God, what have we done? <laughs> uh, yeah, Thinner rules. Um, it's, I think, similar to Nightflyer. Great premise. Some odd little choices. Odd little, like, oh, like, puts it in a pie. That's fun. Um, kind of, you could choose whether to watch it a little comedically or, like, put yourself in the mindset. Uh, yeah. Thinner rules. And it's a little higher on my list. My eight was Storm of the Century. Okay. Did I say what my nine was? Nine is Sleepwalkers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's your seven? Uh, seven is the dark half. Okay, that was ten for me. Um, yeah, what do you think of the dark half? Uh, it was just some good old Romero goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, just it. It's very similar to one we're gonna get to next time, which is the Secret Window. Mm. Um, very similar kind of yeah. story. Um, I guess I'll just read the synopsis here real quick. Uh, mm -hmm. Writer's fictional alter ego wants to take over his life at any price. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a split personality movie, yeah. I guess. <laughs> it really I is mean, secret that, window. It's a little, yeah. It's it's very secret windowy. That's maybe that's why Secret Window didn't do as well. Because I mean. I thought it was pretty awesome, and but some people were like, "Yeah, Johnny Depp." And may, maybe mm -hmm. people had seen the Dark Half. I hadn't seen it until we watched it this time, mm -hmm. and I could see how somebody who was fond of the Dark Half, like, we were like, "Well, Secret Windows, fucking rehash." Mm -hmm. And but I'm I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a sucker for Secret Windows. So, and yeah, I have I read the short story. The short stories pretty damn close to the movie i think there was a couple adjustments but i think it was really close and so that was one of the kudos i gave the movie um yeah the george romero stuff like all the weird little surreal choices like the lighting is always great with romero and just makeup and it, i don't know it romero and king are a good fit together yeah and there was times that they they were gonna work. They were gonna do the stand, and they were in a long development with that, and just it all got mixed up and wonky development stage. But there's wasn't there some weird porcelain face thing in the dark half, like some weird yeah yeah there was. There's a lot of cool effects like that, just really cool, creepy shots that you know. I think that that's a lot of it though. I liked the character going from good version to bad version. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't a lot of it didn't stick with me. Yeah. Like I it, it is like a little in the back of my mind like I know there was cool shots in there and like the the directing was good. But I think at the end of the day the story didn't really hold me as much. Yeah. And so the only reason it's lower for me is I was just more taken with Sleepwalkers, Storm of the Century, The Stand, 
thinner, yeah. all that. But that was your six? Seven. Seven, okay. Uh, seven was the stand for me. Yeah. And then six is thinner for me. Six for me is needful things. Okay. You like this a lot more than I do. But I, I like I like needful things. I the I think it really comes down to the story. I'm just very partial to it. The and uh, Max von Sydow did an excellent job playing Leland Gaunt. The he's a very similar villain to um, uh, the Storm of the Century. Lenoge. Uh, yes, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, uh, I guess I'll read a little synopsis here. A mysterious new shop opens in a small town, which always seems to stock the deepest desires of each shopper with a price far heavier than expected. So, in general, you know, guy opens up a shop, you know, gives people what they want in return for a favor, you yeah. know, and he he turns the entire town against each other. Yeah. through these favors he asks and I, I just really love the concept of the story and everything and I just love how deliciously evil Max von Sydow is yeah um, many people have speculated that um, Gaunt that's his name right um, he's very similar to Linoge and very similar to Randall Flagg so is Gaunt an incarnation of the dark man or is he his own thing is he just another dark wizard uh, out of all of them at least as far as the movie goes they sort of imply he's satan without mm. ever really saying that um yeah i will give you that conceptually out of all the king stories where it's like the town turning on itself because of some evil thing mm -hmm. uh, this is probably the most fun and yeah, the deliciously evilness seeps through into that. Yeah. And the only thing that dropped it in the rating is it's too long for me. I didn't like the pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that, then that, yeah. it, that's warranted. That is certainly a valid criticism. Actually, that that really is it. Because as I think about the movie, like. A lot. I think that this is another one of the King movies that Cocaine helped direct. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the characters are like way over the top, like, and that's part of the fun of it. It's just like, holy, sh what mm -hmm. the fuck? Like, those three guys arguing in the hallway, kind of near the beginning. Yeah, it's like, what the? F <laughs> Only cokeheads talk to each other like this. Like, you do not carry yourself like this, like in a business sort of way. Mm -hmm. But they're just fucking insane, and that, but that is part of the fun of it. The, um, Honey Bunny from Pulp Fiction is in it, and she's fucking weird yeah. as shit. Fighting this other lady who's like, "What you do, mess with my pigs?" And so now that I'm like reflecting on it, like there's a lot of really great character work in it, and I like it a lot. And it's it's enough to make it fun, like Sleepwalkers or whatever, or thinner, but. It's the pacing it fucking kills me in that movie because I I just started drifting off and yeah, but yeah the the villain Max von Sydow as you're saying like he's right up there could be top five yeah and all that 
So, I don't know. That one's like one where if somebody's like, they better not remake that, I could kind of get it, but I kind of almost, maybe give it a shot. Like, tighten yeah. it up a little. Mm-hmm. But then, I don't know, they take just... away some of the cokey weirdness. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. This this one also takes place in Castle Rock, mm-hmm. um, which is also the same town as Salem's Lot. And what's the other one? There's a few others. I can't really yeah. recall them off the top of my head. But I think we've talked about that. Like, different towns have different significance, especially in relation to the Dark Tower. Like, mm-hmm. Derry and the things that go on in Derry are, like, another alternate universe from the the castle rock universe and the there's this island that's in dolores claiborne there's a there's a good video i wish i could remember it off the top of my head i'm not gonna look it up but you can look up dark tower universe explained i think it's one of the first ones it's kind of shows all the different connections it's not a lot of stories that leave maine or are just separate from that universe and i think i i will say just while it's brought up, is that I think that why it works for me, and it's kind of great, is King plays it kind of fast and loose, and he keeps it loose so he can he can play with it. He can move things around, and this character doesn't have to be that character, but it's implied, so it's kind of creepy, but it's not confirmed. So yeah. he isn't pinned to the ground with it. And I think... For expanded universe, universes, which are more and more popular these days with like Marvel and DC, I think that's a wise thing to do. Is you you hint at it. It's like, yeah, you're watching a Batman movie, but there's like a Superman sign in the back, but you don't really talk yeah. about it, and you're like, oh, like, yeah. and he's really good with that. It's like, um, yeah, there was a Dolores Claiborne reference in Storm of the Century. And so anybody who's really into King is like, oh, fuck, okay, shit. And yeah, that's all I'll say on that. But um, yeah. so where Needful Things was six? Six, yeah. Okay, that was thinner for me and all that. So now we're in the top five. Um, yeah. Let's be really quick with these. Not only because we're running a little long on this cast, but also we're going to be talking about perhaps the top five here in the future oh yeah so what's your five stephen king's it mine too i would have thought it'd be higher but that's just says how much i love the top five here Mm -hmm. um it is my favorite stephen king book uh pennywise is the greatest stephen king villain to me Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Curry's fucking incredible in this. Like, he still creeps me out. Like, nothing scares me anymore. I can watch some of the most fucked up shit and be like, ah, that was fucked up. Anyway, just like go to sleep. Mm-hmm. If I'm browsing the internet right before bed and I just scroll up and it's like a shot of Pennywise, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like, it's just. I like I just look out my window and I'm like, what if there's a clown out there? Uh, I was I do these night walks now, walk by a storm drain. I just kind of stare at it for a little longer than I normally would. It's <laughs> like I think it's the scariest 
fucking book. And please write in. If you're like, nope, this book's scarier, I will read that book. Because <laughs> I would love to be proven wrong. It's creepy as fuck. And I mean, I could get so fucking long-winded on it that I just won't. But it's yep. my favorite. I, You'll get my opinions about the remake when we get to them. What are your thoughts on the It miniseries? Uh, yeah, obviously Tim Curry's great. Uh, Bill needs to cut his ponytail. Mm-hmm. Um, Pony bow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it it was pretty good. And in, as far as miniseries go, as we've talked about with pretty much all of them, they were poorly paced. This one, pretty decently paced. Like it's you know, keeps you keeps you engaged. It has that nice built-in structure where it's like this person gets a call. You get to know them a little bit as an adult. Flashback to a childhood. The first time they get attacked or scared by it. Commercial. Then introduce a new character. It's like by the end of it, the stories, their stories have interwoven a bit. First confrontation with it. Boom. End of part one. And we'll talk about it extensively, I think, when we get to it in the future. But I I love the second part of the book. And it's in the book, it's a braided story. And it's always bouncing back and forth. And then as it gets closer to the final confrontation, it starts to go back and forth faster and faster and faster and faster. Until it reach, reaches the climax where they're killing it and then it starts to fade again and it's kind of interesting i've always loved the way it's structured in a book and i get that that's that's why i think you need to adapt this like an eight episode thing it's one of the few stories of his where i'm like it's well served to be that long just to set everything up and it needs to you need to get to know the kids and the adults early and then tell the story slower and because it's so much about that it's about repressed traumatic memories coming back and things that you had forgotten like suddenly smacking you in the face like it's you're there now and just yeah repressed memories getting bullied um ptsd trauma shit that triggers you it's all that and um i clearly they fucked up the the spider at the end. That's a that's a budget yep. issue. They didn't film it right. They got that confrontation wrong. But I will argue that the ending of this miniseries one beats the shit out of the remake. I fucking hate part two of the remake. But we'll get there <laughs> when we get there. Maybe we should, we should just do an episode on Stephen King's It and the film adaptations. I mean... We can talk- at length (laughs) that's not a bad idea because easy easy peasy so yeah it at five and we'll talk more about it in the future i guess uh what's your four dolores claiborne me too that that one was a little rough i was like yeah hard to place well because we might as well get into it what's your three uh three is shawshank Redemption. Oh, well, look at you. I, <laughs> Misery and Dolores Claiborne are just like two sides of the same coin to me. Mm-hmm. Probably because of Kathy Bates, but 
Yeah. Um, that this, I mean, the top four is really hard to place. It really is because they're all so great. Yeah. And I, I was like, man, Dolores Claiborne was like, wow, that's really good. But it, that's why it's above it because. You know, it had a huge impact on me and all that, but we watched Dolores Claiborne and you're like, okay, this is just a good movie that elevates above, I think all the top four elevate above just being a Stephen King story and turn into like, that's just a really good fucking story and a really good movie. Mm -hmm. And the great acting and great tone and music and all of it, so... Yeah. Kathy Bates, Christopher Plummer really great yeah oh Chris, what are we christopher Plummer's the good version of max von Sydow. yeah <laughs> i was like there's an alternate universe where the lord of the rings like uh christopher Plummer's gandalf and max von Sydow's uh saruman but uh um, yeah. i mean dolores claiborne the story's fucked up yeah, um very it's all about repressed memories as well and molestation and the way men treat women and I was reading about it on Wikipedia and a critic at the time it came out cited one other movie that was like pretty old and this they're like these are the most feminist films ever made mm-hmm. and I can see it I see what they're saying I have no idea if you know somebody who's pays attention to that extensively would maybe argue but um yeah it's the story of three women at three different generations almost i would say mm-hmm. and uh what's what's the line it's like uh you have to uh, be a bitch to just uh, cope. i think it i think it's I'm gonna look it up sometimes being a bitch is the only thing you have to hold on to or something i'm gonna look it up you anyway. talk more about it um i mean i can understand how like oh this is a feminist movie might put a bad taste in some people's mouth first of all if you're like that fuck off second of all um (laughs) yeah that's good i feel about it i'm a white cis male i apologize yeah it's not preachy like at all like it it's just a very well-told story and you rarely get to see extremely strong female leads and they're most of the cast well i'll read the line sometimes you have to be a high riding bitch to survive sometimes oh. being a bitch is all a woman has to hang on to <laughs> and so i've heard that before outside of the context of this stephen king and it wasn't somebody just quoting it it's just it, it's that dynamic of like but I'm a nice guy. How come a girl never fucks me? And it's just like, you're not that nice. You're not a nice guy. Because you're moping and whining and begging for this woman to just be this object of desire for you where she's her own individual and she doesn't have to give a fuck about how nice you are. Mm-hmm. Or like any of that stuff. And it's just like, why are you being a bitch? It's like, well, why are you hounding me thinking you're being a nice guy? Like, I think that, that that's to a degree perhaps the feminist message is just like, yeah, you won't let yeah. me be anything else. Yeah. Like it's it's very much how these th- 
three different women from you know different generations respond to a very patriarchal system and like where they fit in in there and how they you know manage being in a repressive society i mean it's it's in maine too so like it's on an island so yeah, even more an island, yeah. <laughs> and i think it's like yeah it's back in the it would have been 60s or 70s i imagine because yeah. it most of the stories in the past that's the mother telling the daughter about what happened to her that she's maybe pushed away but also like shit that made it's like she's mad at her mom but her mom had to be these certain ways but she's working her ass off to save up money and like the bank at the time like just lets the piece of shit alcoholic abusive husband and father like just go into her account and take all her money without even calling her yeah. and obviously you couldn't do that nowadays but I would also argue that not a ton has changed culturally in terms of like oh she's just being a bitch it's like well, well why why and I think it's really good at explaining the why and telling yeah. this multi-generational story of a mother and daughter who don't get along mm-hmm. but they kind of find a little bit of peace at the end which is nice yeah um, so you're Three is Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Do we really need to talk about Shawshank Redemption that much? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, it's a very well-known movie. Everybody likes it. <laughs> it's my number one. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that, you know, like the these top four, especially, mm-hmm. are very hard to place. And depending on my mood, I might put any of them at number one. Sure. Um, I, I think that these ones maybe are better left to the final episode for like a deeper discussion. Yeah. But like, yeah, my three is misery. It's just another incredible Kathy Bates performance. Mm-hmm. Um, insanely quotable. Um, I guess I'll ask you a couple things here. Like, so what your top three is what? Uh, Misery is top, second, Green Mile, third, Shawshank, fourth, Dolores Claiborne. So we just flipped our one and three. I go Shawshank, Green Mile, Misery. Hmm. And so I guess I'll run through a couple things and then we'll just kind of wrap this up. Because like I said, this top five is going to be competing with the top five from last decade, which was going to be hard to put together. Mm-hmm. Um, it might end up be that's why I'm thinking our, with our final lists maybe it should be 15 cause it's like damn yeah. so much shit gets knocked out but yeah. Uh, out of the top 3 which one do you think is paced the best paced the mm-hmm. best hmm I think misery is even though it's my number yeah. 3 yeah it's also quite a bit shorter than Green Mile and Shawshank. Which is nice. Yeah. It, it tells um, a story, it gets in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think why Misery has the top spot for me, as opposed to Green Mile and Shawshank, is Misery, I could literally watch 
once a month and not get sick of it. A Green Mile and Shawshank is like about a once a year, and I'm like, damn, that was a really good movie. But if I, it's not something that you can just, the repeatability isn't quite as much there for me. Um, I get that. That makes sense. Um, I guess I can't repeat misery as much as that. Um, so maybe that's one reason I do. I do love it. It's uh, every October I watch it. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree. Green Mile, Shawshanker, once a year type movies. Green Mile maybe being every two or three years because of just how long it is. Yeah. I'll gladly watch it every year. Somebody makes the time to watch it with me kind of thing. Or I'm just like, ah, I'm feeling sick. Got a lot of time to waste sitting on the couch. <laughs> um, but uh, I, all of them have wonderful endings. Like their third acts are just great. Mm. Um, Shawshank Redemption, I think, it's just had a huge impact on my life. I... Yeah, I got into youth prisons and all kinds of trouble when I was younger, so I think that that is the thing that makes it so meaningful to me. I think I had a lot of stuff I kind of tucked away, buried in my past, similar to like repressed memory things. That uh, I remember, I went to Brewies and with some friends to see Shawshank Redemption, and I had a little bit too much to drink, and I watched mm. Shawshank Redemption. And I just started fucking crying. And I was just like, and they're like, what the fuck is your problem? Because <laughs> Shawshank, while it has its fucked up parts, is pretty hopeful story. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's about crawling through a river of shit, coming out clean on the other side. Um, I just, I don't know. It's meant so much to me in my life that I think that's the biggest reason it's number one. It's... One of those that gets played on TV all the time. Maybe not these days, but I don't know what gets played on TV these days because I don't watch it. Yeah. But I, you can come in. As, I've heard this before. It's like a wet from the shower movie. Mm -hmm. You come out of the shower, you just got a towel wrapped around you. You haven't even dried off yet, but you see it on the TV, like in the hotel room. And you're like, ooh. And you sit on the edge of the bed and just start watching it. And then you've just air dried. You don't ever get to taking the towel and rubbing yourself dry because you're just sitting there like, oh, <laughs> it's the it's the poster scene or it's the fucking uh, Jake the Bird or whatever. Mm -hmm. Ah, I mean, misery. I could see the argument for it just being the tightest story from point A to point B. It's just fucking tight and awesome and a great villain. Easily top five. Easily top yeah. five million. And whereas Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption are these elongated great stories with all these little scenes and little moments. Yeah. And I don't know. Anyway, I think unless you got any more to add, I think maybe it's a good spot no. to wrap it up. No, yeah. Yeah, I think we're we're good. We're going to be talking about these more anyway, the yeah. top ones at least. So, so it's like our top four are the same, not this particular order, but it's like literally 
Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, Misery, Dolores Claiborne, It. You go back to last time, The Shining, Pet Cemetery, Stand By Me. It's like, fuck. (laughs) But yeah, I I guess the little cherry on top is, I said it at the top of the episode, is 1980s. I liked all of it. They were all like a blast to get, get through. 90s, I was struggling a little bit. Part of it's the elongated miniseries thing. Mm-hmm. And that it's like just being ABC corny made for TV quality. It's like Stephen King needs to be R rated or HBO adult. Yeah. It's just got to. I will tolerate a PG 13 King movie for sure. But that's about it. Yeah. And with that, we're going to get into the 2000s, which will be. has some movies I really loved. I don't know if it has anything that'll sneak into the top 10 or 15. I'm not sure, though. That's just off the top yeah. of my head. And a lot of stuff I haven't seen. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah, it should be be good. Cool. Um, yeah, it was a good episode. We almost went two hours, so... Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do music this week. We'll just have it be this. So, uh, you got anything else to add? No, no. Uh, I I don't know if I'd recommend doing exactly what we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, going chronologically through every single one. Um, but at the end, I think I'm going to feel very accomplished and, and in glad I did it. <laughs> I, I think I will add that little thing is that you and I are probably definitely the film geeks out of our little friend group. And yeah. as we've watched them, some of our buddies have like kind of like picked it up a notch. They've started to get more into film and suggesting things and getting into it. But it's mm-hmm. just like when we we do stuff like this, it's like, nah, I don't I don't think you understand. It's like it's like if we tried to like compare jazz and bluegrass knowledge with Kellen. Yeah. Just, like, just don't even, don't even try. <laughs> Cause it's like, have you heard that one? He's like, yeah, of course I've heard that. And it, 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 it is a feeling of accomplishment, even if some of it is like, why am I doing this? But it is kind of nice. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Some people would maybe think it's pathetic or something, but I don't think so. It's just art. And everybody has a different yeah. type of art that they like. And it is pretty awesome to be like, well, I don't know. This was pretty obscure. But have you seen this Stephen King movie? Yeah. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so what about this one? Yeah. 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 I've seen it. Yeah. It's it's 28. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, holy shit. Like, and I don't know. I'm excited about some of these future lists, too. Like, we've started to pick away slowly at the John Carpenter list. Yeah. We probably ought to do. We gotta decide if we're gonna do any more on Verhoeven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are gonna be a lot easier to get done. Yep. This one's pretty epic. Like the stand. It's our our very own, the stand with Stephen King and all his fucking adaptations. <laughs> Some of these movies went to see Mother Abigail. Some of them went to go see the Man Who Walks Behind the Rose. 
Yep. Some of these are true not movies, and some of them shine. Let's we'll leave it at that. We'll see you on the next list. And for those that are regular listeners, see you in the next episode. Ta-ta! Thank you for listening to The Jacob Wayne Show. If you would like to contact us, please write us at fakoshka at gmail.com. That is F-A-K-O-S-H-K-A at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. Simply search The Jacob Wayne Show and it should pop right up. Make sure you like and subscribe and leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. Please write us. It helps add content to the show and makes the show even better for you, the listener. Thanks for tuning in. Well,